Hey there, Duke fans. Time for episode 314 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We got some really significant news. Like, I mean, like this is going to affect Duke athletics for the next 20 plus years uh, today. And we wanted to hop on and chat with you about it. We're also going to do a little bit of talking about Dukies in the NBA because there are a number of Blue Devils who are showing out so far early on in the NBA playoffs and who hopefully will be playing deep in the playoffs. But before we get to any of that, Time for introductions because, yeah, like after 314 of these, you don't know who we are. <laughs> I am Jason Evans. I am your host this week. I'm joined as I always am by my partners in crime, Donald Wine and Sam Klein. Donald, how are you feeling this evening? I'm doing pretty good. I think uh, I'm excited about the future of Duke athletics, as I'm sure you both are. Exactly. Very much so. Sam Klein. Sam probably knows this story that we're going to be talking about better than anybody right now. Sam, how are you feeling? I am. I, I let, let me put it this way. I went to a wedding this weekend. It was one of my best friends from childhood's weddings. My first time going to any event of any kind. And I don't I, since March of last year, I got my second vaccine. So I'm, I'm set to jet and I am less hungover than the Washington wizards are after that performance that Jason Tatum put on them last night. Ooh, boy. <laughs> oh yeah. You see what I did there? Nice. That's, that's, nice. Is that good? That's good. We will that was definitely, good. We'll be getting to Jason Tatum dropping a 50-burger on Washington uh, in just a little bit. But first, we're going to start with this news, which is that Duke um, today named um, their new athletic director. Uh, it, it is Nina King, friend of the podcast, Nina King. We interviewed her just a couple of weeks ago. By the way, folks, if you have not listened, if you, if you skipped over the episode where we interviewed Kevin White and Nina King, Now's the time to listen to it <laughs> because uh, a lot of it, listen, especially to a lot of what she had to say, because this is the woman who is now going to be in charge of Duke athletics, all Duke athletics, um, probably for a very, very, very long time. She was the senior deputy athletic director for administration and legal affairs. She was the chief of staff of the athletic department. Um, she uh, had had overseen both football and women's basketball for the Duke athletic department. And now she's overseeing everything. Nina King officially named as Duke's next athletic director, taking over for Kevin White. Sam has unique perspective on this, as I mentioned, because Sam took a class at Fuqua at business school that was taught by Nina King and Kevin White. Sam, tell me what you think about this hire and about the woman who will be leading Duke athletics into the future. Well, I would be remiss if we didn't start by mentioning that this is the first time Duke has had a woman leading the athletic department. It's the first time Duke has had a, a person of color leading the athletic department. Not that these are boxes that we're supposed to be checking right now, but that it is notable uh, for, for Duke, a university that has had a lot of white male leadership, not just recently, but, but for its entire history. So notable on that front. But I'm glad, Jason, that you mentioned the fact that she was teaching a class with Kevin White. If you, I, I, like her story is basically inevitably just the continuation of the Kevin White story. And it's funny because they do come from such different places. But Nina King has been right by Kevin White's side professionally, not just since he came to Duke in 2008, but even prior to that, when they were both at Notre Dame, or when he was running the athletic department there. So if you look back on Kevin White's time in Duke, or at, at Duke in Durham, since the beginning of 2008, when Joe Oliva left, if you look back on that time, and think that things have gone pretty well for Duke since then, then you should be very excited about Nina King because this is a, a continuation hire. This is a hire that says by the Duke administration and by 
the trustees led by Rick Wagner, who were were running this search, that they approve of everything that went on at, at Duke the last 12 years under Kevin White. And they are excited to have that continue going with Nina King. She's everything basically that she knows about doing this job. She learned from Kevin White. She has been running programs at Duke all of this time. So hopefully this is a continuation of, of all the good that has, has happened on campus. On the court, I think lots of success, not just for Duke's premier programs, but for programs all the way down the line. If you are following Duke Athletics in, in on social media or anywhere the last few weeks, you have just seen a slew of success from the softball team to the women's track team, all, all across the board, lots of success for Duke. And off the court and, and in the community, I think a ton of progress that the athletic department has made from the football program becoming a, a much more integral part of the Durham community and doing tons of, of volunteer work, fundraising work to the men's basketball committee or men's basketball team, um, establishing relationships in the community that, that did not exist prior to the most recent Kevin White led administration. And most importantly, all the work that they did in sort of cleaning up the, the mess that was the men's lacrosse scandal, frankly, and, and something that I don't think, you know, we've, We've mentioned it occasionally on this program about what happened. I don't want to go into too many of the details, but it was an enormous mess for the athletic department that that Kevin and Nina were still cleaning up when they got here a year and a half or two years after that happened. And and the the kind of progress that they've made in the Durham community, I think, is huge, not to mention and, and maybe we can talk about this as well, the growth of the ACC in their time. And I think I said a while ago when, when Kevin White announced that he was retiring, that if you want to ding them for anything, it might be that they didn't do enough to get TV money for the ACC. I think that's a, a minor, minor point on the broader resume of the uh, Kevin White and now Nina King administration. So very excited for this and glad that uh, Duke basically said, you know, we have somebody retiring, but there's not, there's no need to, to rock the boat just yet uh, with this hire. You know, it's impossible to discuss the hiring of Nina King and not bring up the important, you know, landmarks, the uh, landmarks is probably the wrong word. You know, she's an African-American woman. Um, there are currently uh, six female athletic directors among Power Five conference schools, you know, among the biggest athletic departments in the country. Three of them are in the ACC with Nina King, um, Carla Williams at Virginia and Pittsburgh's Heather like um, so three of the six from the ACC the ACC is really a leader in getting women into these into the most senior position in athletic departments and by the way three of the six female athletic directors are African-American women um, including Virginia's Carla Williams who I mentioned who was the first black woman to be hired as, as an athletic director at a power five conference school um, in 2017 uh, Donald let me go to you what's the importance of Duke What's the significance of Duke picking a, an African-American uh, woman, a woman of color for, for this hugely important role? It's, it's very significant. And I'll lead with this. One of my good friends from high school uh, actually played women's basketball at the University of North Carolina, is now the athletic director at Alabama A&M. And she is, you said power of five, that there's six women of which three are African-American women in the power five schools that list doesn't get much longer when you add in all the rest of division one athletics. So uh, congratulations to Nina King on that. And, and, and really just, it is easy to hire a search firm and to go through the motions. And it's very easy to look outside and think that you have to get an outsider. And so I applaud 
uh, Rick Wagner, who is a family friend of mine, you know, I've known him for over 25 years uh, and, and his family. Kudos to him and the search committee for doing the easier thing and the right thing and the best thing in hiring Nina King and staying at home and, and keeping that continuity going, as Sam was alluding to, because it's important to have that. But it's also important to show that Duke is on the up and up when it comes to diversity, equity and inclusion and belonging and, and all of those things that we have been you know, doing over the last year. That part is very significant. But what's even more significant is that she was already a part of the program. We didn't have to look outside. We promoted from within. We gave the best person the job. And Nina King is the right person for this. And I'm really excited to see how this continues to grow. Because as you said, there's only a few little tweaks that she has to do to keep this well-oiled machine running. But for all intents and purposes, this well-oiled machine continues with a new captain. And that new captain has just been the, the, the deputy captain all along. And, and, you know, when we interviewed her, she, t- she and Kevin White talked a little bit about the importance of, of maintaining the culture and understanding what Duke athletics are. Um, and, and obviously, you know, the fact that she's been alongside Kevin White since 2005 at Notre Dame, since 2008 at Duke, there's no more better maintaining of the culture than that. I, I want to mention just really quickly that she's coming in at a really interesting time for Duke athletics. It was both a year that was great and also awful. Um, Duke won six ACC titles. You know, you guys mentioned this earlier. Uh, Duke won six ACC titles in all sports this year. That's the most of any school in the conference, arguably the Duke athletic program, best program in the ACC right now, which is no small feat for a private school competing with schools the size of Virginia and uh, and North Carolina and the such. Um, And Clemson. And Clemson, yeah. Uh, and and by the way, among those titles is the truly remarkable women's softball won the ACC title in just their fourth year of existence, which is just like like crazy that you could build a program that quickly. But but she also comes into an athletic department that is projected to lose somewhere between 15 and 25 million dollars this year because of the pandemic, because there were extra costs associated with dealing with the pandemic and there were zero ticket sales, zero, not a single ticket was sold. <laughs> And, and it was also a really tough year, uh, you know, probably the worst year in quite, quite, quite a long time for our three high, highest profile sports. Ba- football was two and nine. Basketball missed the tournament for the first time in, you know, like 20 plus years. And women's hoops shut down after just four games. Uh, and Nina King will be tasked. There's no question about this, I think. She will be tasked with replacing Coach K and Coach Cut. Uh, there's no way those guys, you know, outlive her tenure because her tenure is probably going to be long. She has a lot of important stuff ahead of her. And that is very significant as well, because not only will that most likely come up within her tenure, again, you have men's lacrosse. Donoski has been there for, forever and he could leave. Women's soccer, men's soccer, women's golf, all high profile programs of the non-revenue or Olympic sports, if you will, fencing, all of these coaches could leave in the next, not 10 years, in the next three to five. And she, the fact that they look to her and, and she's been a part of a lot of these decisions, including as Kevin White said on this program, he alluded to the fact that Nina King was responsible for the hire 
of Kara Lawson for the women's basketball program. So the fact that they trust her with such important decisions as naming coaches for some of our high profile and most successful programs means we're in really good shape that they're going to trust her to for, for the most high profile and the most prestigious of the, of the two football and men's basketball, that she will be the ultimate decision maker when it comes to those, whenever they come up. Yeah. And, and by the way, no slight to Kevin white, but little question that Nina King is going to have a more lasting impact on Duke athletics because of these hires she's going to inevitably make than Kevin White did because he kind of came in a sweet spot where he didn't have to make any of these hires. Hey, Sam, I want to go to you. Uh, To me, one of the most remarkable things about Nita King is she wasn't an athlete. (laughs) How did this happen? (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting because normally for athletic directors, you think of athletic directors being former coaches and you think of former coaches being former student athletes like that. That's a sort of normal through line. Nina King has actually taken the the uh, best trod, I suppose, alternate route to getting there, which is in undergrad, she was a student manager, which uh, which I have great respect for because I was a student manager when I was an undergrad. And and uh, you hear Jay Billis say that those are the hardest working folks on the field. I don't know if I Wasn't was one like, of the hardest. It was like Notre Dame um, swimming she, or something uh, like Women's that? swimming, I think. Yeah, women's swimming, um, yeah. So I, I don't care what sport it is. If, if you're the equipment manager, uh, you you have to be working hard. There is there's always more to do, and there's always someone else yelling at you. So I respect that. It also means that she is in touch with sort of what's happening on the ground, what's happening with the employees, not just with the student athletes who are on campus. And then uh, as far as getting into athletics administration on, on the collegiate level, she went to law school and is a and, and is a lawyer. This is actually you know if you if you kind of read about these things and 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 talk to folks who are in athletic administration. Being a lawyer is actually one of the most uh, common sort of sort of higher uh, higher education paths to to getting into administration. Mostly because, look, a lot of it is is sort of an operational job and making sure that the trains run on time, so to say. But a lot of it is just about figuring out what the rules are and and how to follow them and how to and how to work with them correctly and also how to how to mold them to your advantage. Um, that's that's in compliance. That's in the the rules in the games. That's that's in recruiting. There's all kinds of ways that that the rules sort of matter here. And hello, this summer, all the changes are coming to college athletics. All they're going them. to be they're going to be tons <laughs> of changes to the way that the games are played and the games are administered and the coaches are recruiting and and, and keeping up with the players. And I love that Duke, you know, obviously made a hire that that continues all the good work that that Kevin White did. But if you look at Nina King's resume. And sort of remove the fact that it was Duke. Like if you took her last 12 years of experience and said that it was at Notre Dame or at Stanford or name your other sort of great private power five school, that she has exactly the sort of resume that you would want running an athletic department in the 2020s because she's got experience running an athletic department, but she's also got that background, that that legal background that's going to really help her make a, a lot of adjustments. And, and you're going to hear, I know we talked about how, you know, Roy Williams retired because he was saying, I don't really want to deal with this, with this stuff anymore. Like this is sort of past me. You're going to hear a lot of coaches say that they don't want to deal with the issues that are, that are coming forward in this decade. You're going to hear athletic directors say the same thing. They're going to be doing things that, that they never had to consider doing before in terms of uh, athlete empowerment, in terms of endorsements. Look, the, the PAC 12 just hired a, a new commissioner who, who was not an athletic director at all. He was the, he was the head of a, of a gambling company that tells you a lot about where college athletics and and where the priorities are going. 
you know, what, whatever that means and, and, and whether you think that's a good thing or not, that is the reality of the situation. And I think Nina King from her experience and also from a lot of what we talked about when she was on the show recently is very tuned in to all these issues, very understanding of how the changes are actually going to affect the day-to-day operations of the athletic department and its success, not just on the field, but off. So I am, I'm really thrilled that, that she has that experience to bring to Duke because I don't think a lot of athletic directors have that full breadth of, of knowledge and, and experience to do that. And by the way, you talked, Jason, about how this is someone who could be at Duke for 20 years. Nina King's only in her 40s. She's, she's very accomplished and, and very skilled for someone who is still relatively young in her career. So presuming that, that Duke is a place that she wants to stay, and, and you know, I think the three of us would say that, that Duke is a great place to work and that, it's, and that it's, it, this is a job that, that's sort of a, a, a peak job, I would think, and for someone who's into athletics administration and, and working in college sports. Nina King could be at Duke for a very long time and, and, and is going to, I, I, I agree with you guys, have a profound effect on the future of Duke athletics and Duke University as a whole. And by the way, Sam, you mentioned the legal background. I feel like I have to shout out. She attended Tulane Law School. That's where she got her law degree from. My son is on his way to Tulane Law School this fall. So I, I'm all about- Don't the go, green, don't go. <laughs> I'm all about the green wave right now. Um, Donald, I'll give it to you for, for the last word. I did want to mention really quickly, just so folks are aware, Nina King comes into this job as athletic director as she has another major responsibility, which is she is going to chair the women's NCAA tournament, women's basketball NCAA tournament selection committee next year. Not just a member of the committee, she's going to chair the committee. Um, so <laughs> this is someone who is nationally known, nationally respected. I don't think anyone's surprised that she got the, the Duke gig. And I don't think there's anybody out there who follows, you know, athletic administration who thinks she's going to be anything but a great success in this role. Donald, last word on Nina King. And here is the, I think, one of the most important things for Duke not just for Nina King, but for Duke in general. The ACC has a new commissioner also coming in uh, who is starting uh, in just a month or so. Swafford is retiring. Duke is getting a new uh, new athletic director, but the learning curve will be zero, which is very important in a summer that is going to be heavily defined by new changes, new rules, uh, emerging from this pandemic, trying to figure out how to get back to some semblance of normal we don't have to worry about new coaches because we don't have any coming in. We have everyone's everyone's coming back and we have an athletic director who has been here for 13 years. So we don't have to worry about Duke falling behind because they have to get, you know, learn a new system or learn like how things operate or how things will operate or someone having to get the lay of the land. Nina King is already here. She's already established. Everyone knows her and we are going to, we're going to enter the summer on equal footing with the rest of the ACC because we don't have to wait and figure out how things are going to work. We know how this train is working. Duke announced in the press release that she formally takes over, I think in September. And it's funny to me that that they would need to have an onboarding period for her because half the athletic department has already been reporting to her for the last few years anyway. Like this is the the last person that needs a a three month uh, orientation before, before actually stepping into the role. She could just just moving off doing it this week. Yeah, exactly. She's just moving, she's, she's just moving down, the, down the hall. She's just, she's just moving down the hall and, and, and having, you know, everyone who already knows her now knows that they report to her as opposed to where before they probably knew that they had to listen to her anyway. Hey, random uh, fact about the Nina King hire that um, affects the DBR podcast, which is this. 
I got a notice today from uh, the Duke athlete, uh, Duke Sports Information folks about the press conference that Nina King would be having on Friday, her first press conference as uh, uh, as the interim, not interim, but I guess you know named athletic director for Duke. It is an in-person press conference. It'll be held in Cameron Indoor Stadium, and they had all kinds of stuff in the uh, in the notice that they sent to me about if you need parking, here's what you do, all this other kind of stuff. And I shed a little tear because for the past year, all these press conferences have been done over Zoom, and it means that Donald in Washington, Jason in Atlanta, Sam in Boston, we could attend the press conferences and take part in them. And now the pandemic is, if not over, at least eased to the point the Duke is doing in-person press conferences again. So I'm so bummed that I won't get to uh, have Zoom calls with Mark Williams anymore. Oh man, I have to go to Durham and go to a Duke game to actually like ask questions of coaches and players. Oh my goodness. What, what, what is bummer. this world coming to? I can't wait. <laughs> hey, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, 50, 50 points. That's how many points Jason Tatum scored as the Dukies in the NBA playoffs. Get rolling. All right, we're back from that brief commercial interlude, and we got to talk about the Dukies who are taking it to the next level in the NBA playoffs. The regular season is done and finished, um, but there are still several, a, a number of Dukies who are in the NBA playoffs, and we want to sort of give you a, uh, a guidebook, so to speak, to, um, uh, to, to what they're going to be doing and what we expect from them. And we have to start with what Jason Tatum did on the first day of the playoffs uh, for the Boston Celtics to the Washington Wizards. He, uh, he, he, he laid down 50 points. And by the way, I mean, like 50 points in a playoff game? Come on. It was his third career 50-point game, I should point out. The only player in Boston history to have more than 50, to have scored more than 50 points more than three times is Larry Bird, who did it four times. Jason Tatum just turned 23. So at the age of 23, he already has three 50-point games. Larry Bird, Larry Legend, is probably not going to hold on to the record for the most 50-point games in Boston history. It's entirely possible Jason Tatum will pass him in the next year. Heck, he may, he may pass him in the next week or so. Um, uh, Donald, I will go to you first. Give me a little bit, you know, give me some dookie in the playoff action and start with what what jt did last night uh he destroyed the wizards uh it was bad i was watching the, the game with a bunch of fans uh last night washington was lit we were ready to go and then all of a sudden jason dropped 23 in one quarter and that was that so uh but it i mean it's a fantastic performance because it was all it was many things right sometimes you see a guy who goes off for 50 or 60 and it's dominant and you're like man every single time the, they come down, he has the ball, he's, he's taking shots. Then there's the guys who kind of put up, you know, 50 and they're like, oh, like you kind of, it kind of sneaks up on you. Jason Tatum figure out how to do both in one game, because there was a point where you're like, oh man, he's hitting a few shots. Like he, you know, he's kind of on. And then the third quarter, he became dominant. And it was all of a sudden, they're like, oh, he has 23 points. I go, oh, that's not bad. It seems like he has more than that. And they go in the third quarter. He has 23 points in the third quarter. And that's when you realize, oh, no, we have a problem here if you're a Wizards fan because Jason Tatum is well on fire. And for them, they were going to him every single time, especially with Jalen Brown out. They don't have a, the second score that they normally rely on. So they were going to him every single play. And he was he was dominating. So you have to talk about that and really just how well he has played. We've talked about it quite a bit, but how well he's played for the Celtics down the stretch 
in the clutch and as the number one scorer with everyone's defense going right at him for him to drop a 50 burger in the first game of the play in of the playoffs. That is something special. And people need to recognize that when you watch Jason Tatum, I don't even like the Celtics, but I watch them because Jason Tatum is something special. Yeah. You know, the remarkable thing to me about Jason Tatum is the degree to which he improves every single season he's in the league. He averaged 26.4 points per game this year. That was three more points per game than last year. He's improved his scoring average every single year he's been in the league. He averaged 7.4 rebounds per game. He's improved his rebounding every single year he's been in the, league, in the league. He averaged 4.3 assists per game this year. He's improved his assists every single year he's been in the league. This year, he, he hit better, better than 50% of his two-point field goal percent, uh, his two point field goal shots. Uh, first time in his career, he's done that. He's hitting like almost 40% of his threes. And like I said, he's only 23. He just turned 23. It is, uh, it is unreal, his potential. And, and the amazing thing to me watching that 50-pointer last night was the degree of difficulty on a lot of those shots. Um, he, he's not just a guy who is, you know, getting everything he wants. Sometimes when he doesn't get what he wants, he's still hitting the shot. And, and that's the true mark of a, of a superstar. Sam, what, which, which of these series, we got so many series going on. We got this play-in tournament happening first, but then we have sort of the real deal. The seven game series begin. What are you most excited for? Yeah, I'm loving the the play in games. I think they're a lot of fun. Major League Baseball implemented this a few years ago, and I think the players don't love it because it boils their whole season down to a, a single game. But you know what? I think it's great. It's a. It's by a the cool way, game. by the way, we got yeah. the Jones brothers. The yeah, Jones so brothers going at right a playoff now, game right now. Yeah. As it we're we're recording on Wednesday night, the uh, it's it's halftime in the Spurs and Grizzlies game, which is Jones versus Jones. So uh, whoever wins here, there's a Jones brother. Uh, who at least gets to play on for another day. So that's pretty cool. And then Golden State in Los Angeles is coming up after this. That should be awesome. Um, a bummer that that has to happen in the in the play. And although I suppose both teams can still make it to the the first round, uh, depending on on how things go uh, on the next day of the of the Western Conference play in. But um, a couple of great games here tonight. Looking forward, um, the the Celtics. And so we, we were talking about Jason Tatum and the Celtics and the performance that he put on Washington last night, that series against the Nets is going to be a ton of fun uh, for Duke fans. Obviously we get to see Jason Tatum and Kyrie Irving, but storylines abound here. We know that Kyrie Irving was playing in Boston once upon a time. We know that the Nets are, are trying to put this, this latest superstar team to the test and, and figure out how far they can go. And, and the Celtics look, the Celtics are a, are a seven seed, but we know that they're talented. We know that, you know, it's been, it's been a little rough for them the last couple of months, but when the Celtics are good, they're very, very good. So I hope that that series is a lot of fun. And then on the Western conference side, um, not sure that, that the Duke guys are going to get a ton of, uh, of of burn in this one, but Clippers and, and Mavericks, I think, is going to be a lot of fun. A lot of cool personalities on on uh, in those games, and and I love watching Luka Doncic play. So that, I, I think I think of all the of all the young stars in the NBA. Obviously, Zion Williamson is is our personal favorite here because he's uh, because he's a Duke guy, but he's not playing in the playoffs. The Pelicans are out. They got a lot of changes they have to make in the offseason to figure out what their direction is. I love watching Luca play. He's he's one of the most exciting players. So excited to to tune in for a little bit of that series as well. I, I think the NBA is as we've talked about on this 
uh, podcast many times. I think the last few years that the quality of play has just gotten up so, so high. And it's very cool that there are so many young players and that so many of them are Duke guys. Jason, I know you're excited about RJ Barrett. Um, obviously we love Jason Tatum. We think that he's, he's, he's a star already and is just getting better. So, uh, so lots of fun in the NBA playoffs. Yeah. By the way, uh, you mentioned the, the, the Clippers Mavs series. Um, I'm be really interested in seeing what the Mavs do with JJ Redick. Uh, who, you know, the Mavs are not a team with a ton of playoff experience. JJ Redick's whole career is nothing but playoffs, playoffs, playoffs. I mean, the guy, uh, you know, uh, up until last year had, had been on a playoff team every year of his career. He's incredibly experienced at it. Um, and, and even though he wasn't playing a ton for them late in the season, when he came to the team, I think they brought him in there for some of what JJ is going to provide in the locker room and in terms of guidance for that team. And I won't be surprised if he's on the floor late in games to take, to take a big three for them every now and then I, you're right though, Sam, I, I want to talk about RJ Barrett for a moment because I, I, what RJ's done this season, it is so rare for a guy to, to flip the script um, in one season, <laughs> in one year, the way RJ has, he was, he was widely considered a bust uh, a, a after his rookie season. People said, you know, he, he wasn't a, a good enough shooter and scorer. He didn't play good enough defense. And everyone was saying that, that the Knicks had, had wasted, you know, a, a pick on him when, when they took him uh, in the NBA draft. And, and now he is clearly the Knicks second best player. Um, uh, he, he hit better than 40% of his three point field goals this year, averaged better than 17 points per game. Um, uh, you know, it, it, he, he has, he actually could get better at finishing in the lane. He gets to the basket really well. But uh, he could get better at finishing the lane. But he's he's really he's become an excellent defender in the NBA. It's it's a surprising thing to see how much he's grown in that role. And I think the Knicks are a very exciting team to watch. Look, they're they're playing my Atlanta Hawks, so I'm, I can't root for them too much. But uh, but you know what the Knicks have accomplished this year, getting the four seed, I think is really interesting. And RJ Barrett is a huge huge part of that. Uh, Donald, uh, l- let me go to you. You know. What, what, what else are you looking at in these playoffs? What are you most excited about? Uh, there, there, you know, there are other, we haven't really, we haven't talked about Seth Curry yet on Philly. I mean, I think there's a very good chance. I think either Seth or Kyrie are going to make the NBA finals. Um, so that's pretty exciting. Yeah, I agree. And really, when you think about it, if you were a Duke fan who likes following Duke players in the NBA, this is probably one of the best playoffs ever for us because there are 16 players that are on rosters for 13 of the 16 teams. And that is not counting Quinn Snyder, who coaches the Utah Jazz. There is the potential for as many as seven matchups in the first round where it's Dookie versus Dookie. Do you know what that means? That means there's only one or two matchups where that is not available. And that means that is very likely that one of these Dookies that, that are on these teams could join the list of Danny Ferry, Shane Battier, and Quinn Cook and Kyrie Irving as Duke players who have won an NBA title. So that list isn't that big for as many players as we've seen in the NBA. That list, we've had a lot of guys go far, but we haven't had a lot of guys win the ring. This year is a very high potential for a Duke player to walk away with an NBA championship for their team. And that is uh, incredible. And it gives you anyone who's kind of a neutral fan but likes Duke players, it gives them an opportunity to root for a lot of games in this in this first round so or in this playoff so i'm really excited to see all of these games the playoffs last year were incredible to me and they were very important to me because they got me through a really difficult time now 
We are emerging. Summer is here. Nature is healing. And the NBA playoffs are back on arenas. And, and just the lengthy, you know, playoffs that we normally have are going on. So I'm really, really excited to see all these games. Most notably, I think the one, if you're going to put me in a, in a in a box for which one I'm really looking forward to see in the first round, it, it's not necessarily Nets versus Celtics. I think those are great. Clippers versus Mavericks, I think, is one of the most intriguing matchups of this first round because Luke Kennard is going to play quite a bit. J.J. Redick is going to come off the bench and shoot threes. But again, you, you have Luka Doncic. You have the Clippers, who are one of the you know teams that have been favored to win this whole time. And I have the Mavericks actually has a sleeper pick to win it all. So if they could get past this first round, that road will be a little easier. But obviously, for all these teams, it will be very difficult. But st- just... Make sure you have TNT in your cable. Make sure you have ESPN and ABC in your cable because you're going to be using a lot of those channels uh, over the next couple of months. Hey, there's one other guy I want to mention just really quickly. Um, Austin Rivers, who, who's bounced around the league a good bit lately, um, landed late this year with Denver and, and has carved out a, a pretty interesting role for himself with, with the Nuggets. And the Nuggets are a really good team. You want to talk about a team that could make waves in the playoffs. I won't be at all surprised uh, if, if Denver's able to go places. Um, they're an interesting team because Jamal Murray got hurt and, uh, and Michael Porter Jr. really stepped up. I mean, like really stepped up in the wake of Jamal Murray being, being injured. Um, when you combine him with Nikola Jokic, uh, they have some really creative, interesting offensive players in that team. And Austin Rivers is, has rapidly become one of the leaders of their sort of second unit. Um, when, when Porter comes off the floor, when Jokic comes off the floor, Austin Rivers is one of the guys they're really counting on to create for that second unit and score for that second unit. And, and he, he, you know, his career has um, been revitalized a little bit uh, since he came to Denver. And so I'm really interested in watching the, the Nuggets play as well. On completely bizarre NBA news, I am shocked this week that Kwame Brown is is back as a as a news story. Ooh, man, man, if you haven't been following the Kwame Brown stuff, I like can't repeat any of it on the podcast because it's all very inappropriate, but uh, highly interesting. <laughs> Kwame Brown has some things to say. Let's he put has it that a lot way to but say. I did not know he and, had and an I, hour. He had an hour and a half uh, IG live where he laid all the things out. And then the next day he's like, I'm not done. I have more to say. And I'm like, wow, I like it's hard to keep up at this point. The 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 aughts, the years of the aughts were in in Washington, D.C. is like my 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 prime childhood. So uh, I have I have strong memories of, of Kwame Brown and Gilbert Arenas and Michael Jordan all playing for the Wizards. So this is all this is all really hitting home for me. Yeah, but Jason, real quick on the second units that you were talking about, the second unit, you know, a lot of people really just kind of, you know, they want to see the stars play. They want to, you know, the second unit is just a, a group of guys to them that they're like, yeah, you're just, they're just playing while Steph Curry and LeBron James and Jason Tatum others get rest. But a lot of Duke players play on that second line and really for, for all their teams. And it's important to have a second unit that is very, very good because those are the teams that end up winning NBA titles. If you have a team that can spell your players and not and make it so that your superstars can come in fresh, relaxed, and ready to dominate, it is very important. So that is why a lot of these Duke players are pretty important. You talk about Austin Rivers, you know, JJ Reddick comes in kind of on that second unit. You have uh you know, Grayson Allen and those type of guys will come in on the second unit. Luke Kennard is huge. Luke Kennard, yeah is very huge off the bench. And they've talked about this year where he's become more of a scorer off of the bench. And they're like, that has been well needed for a team that has kept its status among the top three or four teams in the West. So 
Look for that second unit. You'll see a lot of Duke players on there, but they're very important because as they go, so go the rest of their team. All right, guys. So that's going to do it for us here on episode 314 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Congrats again to friend of the podcast, Nina King, on her elevation to uh, athletic director or athletic director to be uh, this September <laughs> uh, at Duke University. A, a great honor for her. And, and again, we're, we're just thrilled for her and we think it's a wonderful thing. And congrats to all those Dukies in the NBA playoffs. We're watching all you guys. Uh, I, it, by the way, for all of you out there, if you want to reach out to us, let us know what you're watching, what you're interested in. Our email is always open. It is dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Reach out to us, let us know what you're thinking, and we'll be happy to respond either on email or perhaps here on the podcast. Sam, we're still waiting on you to compile the results of the listener survey. It'll happen when, someday. When's that going to happen, man? I'm working on it. I'm working on it. We don't have time tonight. We have, we have to go. Yes, we have to run. So we'll be getting the results of the survey very soon. We will have Jason, another. Jason, yeah. when's the next... Uh... When's the next uh, Return to Glory coming out? It is coming out <laughs> on Friday this week. I will have a special episode that is all about what the 2001 team thinks about Coach K. Some great stories on there uh, about um, about some of Coach K's motivational tactics and his relationship with the team. It's going to be fun. Leave it to Jason to have an entire episode of Coach K stories. We don't need yeah, to. This is the most. Need to have no interview. Part of this He's going to have an show. entire episode of Coach K stories. That that is that is so Jason. There you go. And by the way, here's a deep tease for you. On that episode, you will learn who Coach K's favorite barbecue is in the in Durham. Whoa. Yes, you're going to find out who Coach K uses to cater his barbecue. All right, I haven't I haven't heard the episode yet because uh, Jason hasn't shared it with us yet. But um, I'm I'm putting in my vote for Bullock's barbecue. I'm I I uh, I, I don't know if that's going to be it. You're wrong. But, but that's <laughs> you're wrong. Vote. That's, that's, <laughs> I I'm going to put in a note for the Q shack. That's I'm just going to put that out there. All right. And he hasn't said anything. So I'm saying uh, no, we'll look, see. you're also good. wrong. <laughs> oh, okay. Wow. Well, I like both those places. So it's cool. If, <laughs> I, I know that he's not picking the pit because he's because coach K is old school. So it's not the pit. Um, but we, we got to listen. You're going to have to listen. You have to tune in. Well, Shane Battier is the one who tells the story. Shane told me, make sure when I interviewed Shane, he said, make sure you ask me about blank barbecue. And I went, oh, so I asked him and he told the story. This is, a, he tells it on the podcast on the next episode of Return to Glory. Shane talks about the guy that, that Coach K brings in whenever he wants to close a recruit. Like if there's a big recruit in town, Coach K says, this guy's coming in, he's making some barbecue and we're getting that recruit. So you will learn about that on the next episode of Return to Glory. Now I'm but, psyched. Now you're psyched. <laughs> uh, that's going to do it for this episode. Again, of the DBR podcast, 314 of these in the books. Enjoy, ladies and gentlemen. We'll come at you very soon. Anytime there's Duke news, we're here to bring it to you and talk about it. For Donald, for Sam, I am Jason, and we are signing off. Here's the Duke band. Play us out. Take us home. <laughs>